Welcome to the Edge, Developing Officers for Command. I'm Senior Master Sergeant Eugene Christ from your 130th Public Affairs. This is the third episode of the 12-part series that will be released once a quarter. Now let's get to the content. Hey, good morning, folks. So, how many of you are at Flair? Just show of hands. I'm not going to look, I promise. Uh, me too. Uh, man, it's a long week. But I could come in here tired, dragging, just, you know, uh, uh, ready to finish drill and go home and relax. But I tell you what, I'm actually motivated this morning. I'm motivated. I'm energized because of you all. I really love this. Now, you all may hate it. You all may dread it. But I'm telling you, I love it. I come in here motivated. It's a joy to think about what we're going to talk about uh, whenever we have these sessions each quarter. Again, it's a small amount of time that I'm asking from you, but uh, thank you all for being here. Thank you for coming. I know for a lot of you, you're tired. Uh, it's been a difficult week, a challenging week. Uh, certainly coming home yesterday. Uh, you know, if you flew into the trucks in here to Charleston, it was kind of a rough ride. If you were one of the unlucky ones that ended up in Huntington and having to be bused back here, uh, certainly makes for a really long day. Uh, Colonel Priest didn't walk into the door at his house until about 10.30 last night, but he's here bright and bushy-tailed, ready to go. And so am I. So, block three of our pre-command officer force development training. Today we're going to talk about strategic planning and developing organizational goals and objectives. So agenda today, um, first of all, we're going to talk about why we should do this. Uh, you know, I'm very big about the why. I like explaining those things and we're going to cover it here. We're going to talk about strategic level guidance that we receive that assists us as we do this. We'll talk about distilling and interpreting higher headquarters direction and, and intent. Then we'll look at how we actually create unit level guidance, both strategic plans as well as goals and objectives. We'll then look at how we communicate that throughout the organization, how we measure our results, and then how we report that back out to the organization. So why should we do this? Why is it important that we do strategic planning and set goals and objectives for our organization? Well, AFI 1-2 doesn't explicitly say you will do it, but if you look down through it, there's little nuggets. Under executing the mission, it says commanders hold the authority and responsibility to act and lead their units to accomplish the mission. Uh, under leading people, um, again, you know, leading people is the art of command. Um, we've talked about that a little bit already. It says that commanders must uh, maintain effective communication with their organization. It talks about in order to develop uh, understanding, intent, tr and trust, commanders must transmit goals, priorities, values, and expectations. And ultimately, we're responsible for maintaining a healthy command climate. Uh, so un even under managing resources, it talks about communicating commander's intent is a vital piece of guidance that commanders must provide. Again, 
more little bits and nuggets. Talks about strategic alignment. We must attain that. Talks about setting vision and mission statements, uh, as well as incorporating those into your strategic plans. Talks about performance metrics and how they should be used to make data-driven decisions. Uh, and then at the bottom of AFI 1-2, there's some general statements in there talking about how we as commanders must have a propensity for action. Uh, we must apply the tenets of effective command and control, and we have to enhance the unity of effort within the organization. So 1-2 doesn't tell you, hey, you're going to cre create a strategic plan. You're going to develop goals and objectives for the organization. But it does implicitly tell you, not explicitly, but implicitly tell you that you need to do this. More importantly, people respond to what you say is important. And even more importantly than that, and to a greater extent, what your actions say is important. What do I mean by that? How many times have you had a commander say, this is important? And then you never see it again. They never talk about it any further. You never see any unit movement towards achieving that goal or the, the objective that the commander's laid out for you. Commander just said it three months ago. Where did it go? What happened to it? It happens all the time. Unfortunately, it happens with even very important things that a commander truly wants to see improvement in, but there isn't a whole lot of action because it's very easy to get inundated by the day-to-day -day operations of the organization, by the things coming at you from higher headquarters, taskings, new guidance, new policies, by the problems that churn within your average unit and squadron. Commanders get distracted. It's very easy. So fundamentally, people do pay attention to what you say. They do. But more importantly, they pay attention to what your actions say. And the things that you really care about, they will care about too. They will. Um, also, people respond very strongly to expectations. If you set an expectation for them, in my experience, 95% of folks will bend over backwards to meet it they will work extremely hard to meet those expectations that you set. If they aren't meeting them, they'll double their efforts. I mean, it's, it's amazing just how simple telling people uh, what, you, what, what level you want to see them achieve in a given program or the expectations that you have for them, how much of a motivator that is. So this is fundamentally why it's important that we do these things. Go ahead, Eugene. So, how do we do it? How do we develop a strategic plan for an organization? How do we develop goals and objectives? Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to look up. You got to look at strategic guidance that's being passed down to you from not just your immediate commanders, but all the way up the chain. Uh, it begins with the national security strategy and the national defense strategy. As an officer, I don't care if you're a second lieutenant, I don't care if you're a colonel or a general, it's very important from my perspective to read these documents and to understand what it is 
uh, our leaders not only expect us to do, but fundamentally why we are here as a military component. So it, with the national security strategy, you know, fundamentally that comes from the president. Um, the president encompassing all the elements of national power. Anybody know the four elements of national power? Anybody want to volunteer if you know? Wow, okay. Uh, dime, all right? Anybody ever heard of dime? Diplomatic, informational, military, right? As well as the um, you know, fiscal power of uh, national power. Um, ultimately, the economic power that the nation brings to the whole as far as sanctions, as far as where we spend our money, not just internally, but throughout the globe, determines and underlines our national security strategy as well as the other strategic goals that we have as a country. Um, certainly diplomatic efforts, you see a lot of that going on, um, you know, especially in places like the UN where um, you know, debates happen where we express our dissatisfaction with the actions of other nations or we express our support for other nations as they go about their business. That is a form of power. Informational is even growing more and more today, uh, not, you know, especially with the cyber domain, et cetera. There's a lot of uh, areas within the information domain that uh, we exert power. And you know, fundamentally, uh, the big M, the part that we pay, play a significant role in, the military power that this nation has. Um, so reading that national security strategy and you look at the things that are up here, and these are just little nuggets that I pulled out, but it, it talks about things like the most pressing strategic challenge is from powers that layer authoritarian governance with revisionist foreign policy. Wow, what does that mean? <laughs> well, if you want to know, Here's an article for you. Write it down. War on the Rocks, Imposing the Past, Putin's War for History. It will talk to you about how certain leaders in the world are literally recrafting history in order to further their own objectives. And this article describes how Putin has been recrafting history within Russia uh, amongst his own populace in order to further his strategic aims uh, for his country. And it's working. That, in the national security strategy, is what they say is our most pressing strategic challenge. It's not just happening in Russia either. It's happening in China and a lot of other author authoritarian regimes throughout the world. Talks about global priorities, outcompeting China and constraining Russia. Says that the PRC is our pacing challenge. That's the People's Republic of China. The NDS relies on a term called integrated deterrence. And you will see this term throughout other strategic documents. It defines it as you see it up here. Uh, the seamless combination of capabilities to convince potential adversaries that the costs of their hostile activities outweigh their benefits. That is integrated deterrence. 
It talks about assembling the strongest possible coalitions to advance and defend a free world that's also open, prosperous, and secure. Assembling the strongest possible coalitions. What part do we play in the West Virginia National Guard to assembling strong coalitions? Anybody give me an example? Because we do it. Absolutely. State partnership program with Qatar, with Peru. We, are, we have a presence in, on two continents, and we, when the West Virginia National Guard participates in a state partnership program activity, we are the representatives of the United States in helping to strengthen activities with our partners and allies. Right? We are building future coalitions by working within the SPP program. Further, if we participate in an exercise overseas, along with a partner nation, we too are also building future coalitions and strengthening our ties with partners and allies. Therefore, our conduct during those activities is of absolute paramount importance because we are literally diplomats in uniform and we are exercising two elements of our nation's national power, the D and the M, in carrying out those activities. So even at the national security level, national security strategy level, there's things that we can point to that have a direct impact on us. The national defense strategy, as you see it, things tend to get more and more detailed and funnel down more and more um, relevant to us as it comes down the chain. So it talks about four top-level defensive priorities. Defend the homeland. Do we have a role in defending the homeland? Absolutely. It's in our mission statement as, as the National Guard. We are the primary force defending the homeland. Uh, Deter strategic attacks against the U.S. and partners. Deter aggression. Be prepared to prevail in conflict when necessary and build a resilient joint force and defense ecosystem. Um, there's a lot of parts and pieces that we play in those four defensive priorities. All right? It goes on to also talk about how the DOD will advance our priorities through integrated deterrence. There's that word again. It defines it as entailing, uh, that it entails working seamlessly across warfighting domains, theaters, the spectrum of conflict, all instruments of U.S. national power, and our network of alliances and partnerships. It says we'll focus on the PRC as our pacing challenge, right from the national security strategy, and it also accounts for the acute threat posed by Russia. Now, if you read this in more detail, it also talks about other nations, Iran, North Korea, etc. But those are our most salient challenges. It talks about close collaboration with allies and partners as a foundational element of U.S. national security interests. Again, our adversaries are functioning on the world stage. China's Belt and Road Initiative has made significant inroads throughout many areas of the world, including Africa and South America. It is our responsibility in deterring China and in addressing them as our pacing challenge 
to ensure that we are collaborating with allies and partners. And we're shoring up those efforts in order to uh, essentially combat our adversaries. We look at Air Force-specific doctrine. You even start with Doctrine Publication 1, which defines why we fight, who we are, what we do, and how we do it. That document ties directly back to the National Security Strategy and the NDS. You look at the Air Force Posture Statement for FY23, General Brown's famous statement, Accelerate, Change, or Lose, is a, you know, really the gauntlet that he's thrown down to the Air Force as a whole. I would say his whole tenure as the Chief of Staff will be defined by those four words right there and how well we have accelerated change in our organizations. You see it uh, across the board, even as the Air Force looks to divest existing weapons systems, reaching for things that are still in the developmental stages. Talks about, again, integrated deterrence. There's that word again. And how the Air Force will work with our allies and partners around the world. It, will, it talks about things like both permanent rotational deployments, which we participate in. Exercises, which again we participate in. Forward presence and activities that contribute to maintaining deterrence and supporting long-term objectives. Every time we deploy forces from this base, we participate in those elements right there. Whether it's a transportation airman or an aircraft and maintenance team. Talks about ACE. Readiness and sustainment of fielded forces, continued support to allies and partners, etc. And that the Air Force is uh, pursuing strategic deterrence. It mentions rapid global mobility. Talks about how it enables power projection, extends range and persistence, and ensures air superiority, superiority and joint force capabilities. That they are in the right place at the right time. In that posture statement, it talks specifically about the mission that we do. Tactical and strategic airlift underpin the nation's rapid global mobile capability, mobility capability tells us exactly how important we are to the Air Force's mission overall. If you look at guidance coming from Air Mobility Command, and I, I got to give General Minahan credit, this mobility manifesto is one of the best strategic documents I've seen in a long time. He has a real unique style in how he presents information. It's very direct, sometimes it's blunt, um, but it's effective. And for me personally, it's motivating and how he addresses these things. Um, a lot of the words that you see up here come directly from him. He says in these documents that he owns this message, and he means it. And he not only communicates directly to all airmen in Air Mobility Command, but he invites their uh, participation as well. He gets right to the heart of the matter. We are in a crisis. The time for action is now, and he highlights the significant risks of doing nothing. We are the best at what we do, period, and doing our job well is the most important professional trait we possess. Being airmen, being competent, and 
capable airman is the most important trait we possess. Without air mobility, there is no meaningful maneuver. Without air mobility, there is no lethality. We are vital to how our military functions and projects combat power. We are the meaningful maneuver of the joint force and an asymmetric advantage to the warfighter. Nobody, nobody does mobility like we do it. I love the phrase, we are the admission ticket for, the global, for global force projection. I just, I, I love the verbiage that they use. Um, he talks about how, you know, in warfare, logistics, you know, it, it tends to, um, tends toward brute effort. If you look at what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. It's logistics that's determining the outcome of that conflict. It's how quickly Russia can bring uh, forces to bear, how quickly they can supply them with ammunition and weapons, and how quickly you, Ukraine can do the same. Uh, it's fascinating to watch this play out, but that is very much a logistics-based conflict. Um, talks about mass says that essentially we are the only logistics capability that can provide mass at speed. Yeah, we can put things on ships and send them overseas, but it's going to get there in a while. We are the only ones that can contribute mass at speed, and mass is absolutely critical to any future fight. Again, talks about the operating environment, how that it's complex and challenging. Nevertheless, we will not be deterred. He actually calls out how uncompetitive our acquisition process is. And what he means by uncompetitive, it, he means our adversaries are doing it better, they're doing it faster, they're getting new weapon systems online much quicker than we are. He talks about his concerns about the airlift and tanker force as a whole, but ultimately we're probably going to go to war with what we have. Thus... We need to experiment with new ways that we can utilize what our current capabilities are. We need to make sure that um, we're very proficient and effective in using those. But we look at new TTPs, play on our strengths of our airmen and platforms and develop innovative and new TTPs in order to enable lethality talks about how our military are a competitive advantage. It's essentially what keeps our adversaries awake at night. And General Minahan says that when General Brown says accelerate, change, or lose, we say we win or die. Let's go. That's what he tells us. His most recent message to the field, go faster. Drive readiness, integration, and agility for ourselves and the joint force to deter and, if required, defeat China. He tells you what his end state is, that we're ready to fight and win inside the first island chain. He talks about maximize the use of, force, uh, use of the force and the tools that we currently have to extract full value of the things that currently exist. He challenges us when it comes to managing risk to run deliberately, not recklessly, but again, I love how he phrases this. 
He tells commanders specifically, you're going to be governed by the principle of calculated training risk. And he tells us exactly what that means in this statement right here. And he says, if you're comfortable in your approach to training, then you're not taking enough risk. What a challenge. I have never seen a commander at that level express things in this way. And for me, it's motivating. So when you look at what the Air National Guard tells us, um, I put a little shameless plug in here, the Air National Guard Foundation document. Not sure if any of you have seen it. Um, the reason why I say it's a shameless plug is I was on the writing team for this. I was one of about 20 folks working with the Air Guard Strategic Planning System, uh, General Weber, and uh, I actually had a hand in writing this six-page document for the Air National Guard. Uh, but this document's very interesting. It talks about essentially what our mission is as an Air National Guard. Uh, you see this up here. It talks about our unique attributes that we bring to the joint force. And it includes things like the significant um, resource of civilian skills that our airmen bring to the fight. I mean, we are fundamentally, as Air National Guard airmen, we are multi-capable airmen by definition. Talks about mission and vision and the capstone principles. These capstone principles I have listed here, uh, these are kind of the, um, especially when you see the second bullet there, strengthening national security through at least one Air Force-equipped operational core mission wing and flying squadron across each of the 54 states and territories. That line is a core tenant in the Air National Guard. It's kind of like a red line. It's a line in the sand that our leaders have drawn that they don't want to see the Air National Guard go below. Um, but really, it lays the case for the fact that it's ultimately the militia-based construct is what we bring to the table. No one else does. It basically advocates for concurrent recapitalization and modernization, talks about our dual capabilities for both the federal and state mission, and talks about developing total and joint force leaders. It also defines some strategic outcomes. Um, this is a good document, something to look at, just to see how, how the Air National Guard views itself. There's another one that came out here recently. When it comes to ACE, multi-capable airmen, ready airmen training, uh, expeditionary air base with the new ACE staff construct, lead wing concepts, etc. cetera. Uh, this is stuff the Air Force has been putting out. I believe the Air Force has taken General Brown's task of accelerate, change, or lose seriously. Thus, they've been fielding new guidance when it's not entirely complete and ready. And this is an area that's happened. And we're seeing it continue to evolve because we can't afford to wait until it's perfect. They get out a 50% solution, tell folks to go do, and we refine it as we move forward. But the Air National Guard, in response to the Air Force's force generation model, has just published a document that defines those concepts for the Air National Guard as a whole. I urge you to read that as well. In addition to it, 
the Air National Guard has tasked us with enhancing recruiting and retention efforts in order to maintain in-strength. Why is maintaining in-strength important? If we fall below in-strength, the Air National Guard authorizes us 108,000 guardsmen. If we follow, fall below that, Congress cuts our funding by an equivalent amount. Um, we lose a lot of funding flexibility in that regard. Uh, we lose the ability to take care of our airmen and to ensure readiness. So maintaining in strength is absolutely important. And they've also challenged us to prioritize and effectively manage the limited fiscal resources that exist. You all feel it. Your units feel it. Um, it's a real pinch right now when it comes to um, the resources that we've been given. It's, it's hard. When we look at the guidance that our Adjutant General and our ATAG have given us here recently, <coughs> readiness remains the number one priority. Prepare for the future fight. That's what they tell us. But in addition, prepare future officers and enlisted leaders to serve within the joint force, foster greater inclusion and diversity in our organization. The TAG specifically wants us to focus on some of the special program activities such as Ridge Runner. Um, it's kind of interesting to see how important Ridge Runner is, not just to the state, but also to um, supporting our special operations forces when it comes to irregular warfare training. TAG recently made the decision to accept the HERF C2 mission from the Pennsylvania National Guard. That's a big pill for this state to swallow. We have a fraction of the resources that our brothers and sisters north of us do in Pennsylvania. This is going to be hard. And it is creating quite a bit of churn. Am I right, Brittany? Yes, sir. Quite a bit of churn amongst the staffs. But TAG wants us to do it. And we're going to. Better support TAG staff as they engage with our CODELs when it comes to enhancing our equipment and our facilities. General Crane believes very much in developing future leaders uh, to be prepared for working with our legislative counterparts and being knowledgeable and experienced in legislative affairs. You will see several of you in this room over time. We will send off for events that enhance your knowledge and experience in this area. Um, TAG feels it's absolutely vital. And then um, continue promoting TAG's vision of a one guard family. These are the tasks that he's given us. All right, so. I've tell, told you about strategic level guidance that we've been receiving. What our task is as leaders, as the wing commander, vice, command chief, and group commanders, is to try to distill all that into something that's meaningful to you all. And that can be really hard. This is our wing strategic plan. This plan is now four years old. And it will remain our wing strategic plan for this year. This strategic plan has survived conversion. Why? Well, fundamentally, if you're doing strategic planning every year, it's not very strategic. 
I prefer to create a more simple uh, strategic plan that lays out high-level uh, concepts and then follow that up with what I call annual organizational goals and objectives that are much more specific and much more flexible as guidance and policy change. But this has to stick to the basics, and it does. You know, our mission, even through conversion, hasn't really changed. We're still providing combat airlift. All these things have actually survived a change in leadership because this was created by the previous wing commander and his staff. It's okay to accept what your predecessors have done. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's still valid for the organization. Okay? But what I've done is I have created a series of goals and objectives for the organization as a whole. Well, I should say these are Colonel Priest's goals and objectives for the organization. Now, he'll probably be the first to tell you, hey, Colonel Char wrote a big chunk of this, and that's true. But fundamentally, what I did was I listened to what our senior leaders had to say. I listened to what Colonel Priest's what the things that he had to say, and my job as the vice was to try to encapsulate these into goals and objectives for the organization. Now, the strategic plan I mentioned will be unchanged for this year, but General Crane is currently writing a new strategic plan for the West Virginia National Guard. And uh, that may cause us to have a course correction. We'll see. But fundamentally, and you see this broken down into the four main categories that 1-2 lays out. These are our goals and objectives. Return our end strength to 100%. Hey, that ties back into what the Guard Bureau's been telling us. It ties back directly to readiness, to ensuring that we are a ready organization. And it gives specific things that we're going to do. Recruiting's already moving out with all this. Talks about retention. We've set a goal to improve our retention rate by 10% compared to last year. What this means is we want to lose 11 less airmen than we did last year. I'll tell you right now, we're behind the power curve on this. But we've instituted some things in order to try to help. Uh, one of these is, and I actually had an interview this morning before coming down here. Any airman who decides to ETS the organization wing commander wants to have a conversation with. It's very low threat, you know, conversation, but he wants either uh, Colonel Priest, myself, or Chief Williams, he wants them to talk to us. And we'd like to see if maybe we could save someone. If we save one out of ten, we'll get to that 11 number. Um, greater emphasis on CMP interviews, incorporating retention-related topics in all formal and informal discussions with airmen, um, continuing pursuit of a sanctioned and affordable child care option for drill. You would be amazed at how that one bullet will impact the retention of airmen in this wing. Significantly. Just prior to flare, I was made aware of a situation in which we had a dual military couple in this wing 
both required to be here at O Dark 30 for Flair. And the child care center over here doesn't open until like 6.30, like an hour and a half after they were required to be here. They didn't have family in the area. They didn't have a lot of options. Very stressed. Um, something we didn't think about, <laughs> to be honest with you. And shame on us for not thinking about something like this in this regard. Um, but you saw Colonel Priest sent a message out uh, to the wing, basically saying, Commanders, if you have someone who needs an accommodation for this reason, give it. Give it. And we're getting closer and closer by the day to making this happen for drill weekends. Go ahead. Uh, reach and move beyond IOC. Hey, uh, air crew training and development continues. Um, we're doing more and more IMS sorties leading to mission ready air crews. This is the main focus of ops right now in uh, you know, reaching IOC. Uh, air Mobility Command kind of moved the goalpost on us by adding additional training requirements once we had entered into conversion. Thus, our um, IOC date was shifted six months to the right. It will now be at the end of this calendar year uh, because of those additional training requirements. But uh, this is very important. It's equally important that we participate in large-scale exercises that simulate a dynamic and highly complex battle space. You see some of the example exercises up here. But ATAG has challenged us to do more and more of these. Uh, I think the air crew would like it. I think you guys enjoy it, uh, being challenged in this way. So uh, we're going to do more and more. Um, you see goals up there concerning manpower vacancies and shortfalls, specifically increasing the number and experience level of aircraft commanders. That's hard. You don't want to put somebody in the left seat too soon, right? You want it to be uh, deliberate, and uh, you want them to be ready. But we have a shortage right now. Um, recruiting retention of flight nurse, nurses and aircraft maintenance personnel all tied directly back to our mission. When it comes to managing resources, you see the goals that are here. You see that a lot of this ties back into things like managing fiscal resources in a responsible and effective way. You see elements that tie back into um, keeping uh, the TAG staff informed of things that we need so that we can leverage our CODELs to hopefully add additional funds uh, for, so that we can improve our facilities and our equipment. This is happening. Our CODELs this fiscal year got us designed dollars for a new squad ops building. Um, we hope that once that plan is made, that design is done, we'll move into a time period where they'll be able to provide us with the construction dollars for it. I'll tell you my entire 30 plus year tenure in this organization, they've been trying to get a new squad ops building. Colonel Priest is determined that it will happen on his watch and leveraging our CODELs is key to it. Uh, improving the unit, specifically it talks about executing LREs in order to evaluate and enhance our ability to deploy and carry out a wartime mission. Includes operating under ACE, as well as training on MCA tasks. 
Then fundamentally in September, we were going to demonstrate to an AMC IG team the ability of our IG and WIT to thoroughly, effectively, and independently evaluate our wing. That's ultimately the goal of September. Do you know that we as a wing could absolutely fall on our face in September in performing the exercise? But if our WIT thoroughly and effectively and fairly and accurately assesses us and uh, denotes all the deficiencies and the mistakes that we made, we're going to pass. Now, that's kind of weird because we've never done it this way before. And I'm, I know with the airmen in this wing, we will not fall flat on our face. We will do well. But fundamentally, that's the task that we have in September. It's the IG will, AMC IG will be here to assess our wit and our IG. You see the tags, uh, specific goals and objectives supporting tags direction of fostering a climate uh, of greater inclusion and diversity. These are the specific things that we will be doing this year. This bottom bullet, study and implement ways we can improve communications, especially with DSGs. We did a survey recently that our IG did um, of airmen, just trying to see basic things, how well information was getting disseminated through the organization, and we did not do well. And that's on us as commanders, but this is a focus area for us going forward. Leading people uh, will be dedicating a new Airmen and Family Readiness Center here soon, um, just waiting on furniture. Continuing to grow programs and events that enhance and encourage a healthy, fit, and resilient force. We place a lot of emphasis on morale events. Um, fitness challenges, group workouts, etc. Even when we go to flare, it's important to have a time where the wing can get together as a whole that's there, the 400 members of the wing, to basically uh, mix and mingle and enjoy themselves, let their hair down a little bit and relax. And that's what we did at the end of flare. Um, Talking about airmen, physical, mental, and spiritual wellness. Um, things like this pre-command course right here and uh, enhancing the development of our force, uh, as well as adding blocks of instruction this year, Headquarters 101, which we'll hit today, as well as information on JFHQ, Joint Force Headquarters, and how they contribute to the West Virginia National Guard's mission in developing future leaders. We're going to continue to promote professional education and growth through our Airman Development Program. The focus will remain on deliberate, meaningful, consistent, and timely developmental feedback. That is the main focus of the program. But also to reinforce the other goals that you see there at the bottom, including career broadening, developmental assignments, professional education. Go ahead, Eugene. Here's joint missions and special programs, the thing that's things that we will focus on as a wing and contribute to in concert with our joint staff partners. Can you see how these tie into everything that's come down? Can you see how the leadership team here has worked to create more meaningful objectives that are specific to this wing, but reach back to everything else that's coming down from on high? That's how you do this, folks. It's not rocket science, but it does take work. So 
Let me give you some more examples. So prior to being the vice, I was the uh, maintenance group commander. And I had the task, I did not have a goals and objectives document from the wing, but I did have the wing strategic plan. And I wanted to develop a product that would be meaningful to my maintainers. This is the goals and objectives document that I developed in 2019 for maintenance. And there's some things that are in here that I really tried to focus on. First of all, in the maintenance world, they have a metric called mission capability rate, MC rate. It's most places that you go, that is like the one thing they talk about, is MC rate, MC rate, MC rate. And it's probably one of the worst specific indicators of performance. Um, nevertheless, what we did is we created a new metric, departure reliability rate for maintenance, that focused on our ability to actually meet our mission, to deliver an aircraft supporting air crew training or an operational mission. We set a standard for ourselves in this. We took out weather, we took out other factors that we couldn't control, but for maintenance purposes, what's our departureability, departure reliability rate? Because that's ultimately what's important. Even more so, my number one metric for the performance of the maintenance group was trained and ready air crews. Well, how does maintenance contribute to that? Well, yeah, we provide aircraft, but we don't have the ability to influence what ops does. Yeah, we do. Absolutely, we do. If our MC rate is in the tank, which we don't want, obviously, but if it is, and we have full up trained and ready air crews, we're mission successful at that point. That was my number one metric. I will say it was a little bit of a culture shift in maintenance for the maintainers that are in the room. Uh, I'm sure you felt that way. But I wanted to focus on things that I considered more important rather than just MC rate. We talked about improving full spectrum readiness in the maintenance group. Uh, our maintenance group actually has some of the most challenging um, uh, circumstances when it comes to meeting its end strength. We talked about retention of airmen talked about collaborating with technical schools and programs throughout the state that focus on aviation maintenance training as a potential recruitment opportunity. You see the other items that are here. So this is what I put together for maintenance in 2019. Again, I took that one-page strategic planning document and I worked to create this for my maintainers. Now, communicating this and engaging with your airmen so that they receive and understand this is incredibly important. Um, just developing these goals and objectives alone is not enough. Just sending it out once an email is not enough. You have to do more. Um, when you're looking to communicate this to the organization, if you create a collaborative process to develop these goals and objectives, you're going to have automatic buy-in with everyone that participated in that process. And everyone will be then an advocate for sharing it with the rest of the organization. 
Also, you got to use multiple means to communicate it. So, for example, when I created the wings, goals, and objectives this year, just here recently, it went out on email. Working with Eugene, we've got a whole campaign plan put together for bit by bit, over time, exposing more and more airmen of this wing to our goals and objectives. Me here talking to you about them today helps me communicate this throughout the wing. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to go through it with you. But fundamentally, and it's not that, uh, I mean, we have very intelligent, highly capable airmen in this wing, but we all are inundated with information in multiple sources. Thus, you've got to repeat, repeat, repeat if you want things to stick. You just have to in order to get through the noise. But fundamentally, you got to use the goals and objectives that you put out. If you write it and then you never do anything about it, you're not going to meet it. You've got to refer to your strategic plan or a specific goal and objectives as you're doing your daily business. Now we do that here in this wing. Um, and I'll show you some ways that we do. But ultimately, you have to use these goals and objectives to help explain to folks the why that you're doing certain things. Measuring progress. This is one way that you do this. Performance metrics should tie back to specific goals and objectives. You've got to measure progress towards achieving those goals. Now, AFI 1-2 requires commanders to make data-driven decisions. One of the ways that we do that in this wing is we have a monthly dashboard meeting. We talk about strength. We talk about retention. We talk about execution of fiscal resources. We talk about readiness metrics. All of those tie back into the goals and objectives of the organization. And we measure performance month to month here in the wing. But you've got to use these tools as a commander, progress reviews, functional area-specific meetings. We have functional advocates that come and brief us on their specific programs on a regular basis. It's a, a completely built cycle. Uh, they have regulatory requirements to do it in some cases, and in some cases, we just ask them to so that we can measure progress uh, towards our goals and objectives. But you got to use these things. And then you have to tell your airmen how well or how poorly your organization is performing. When in 2019, when I had set some goals and objectives uh, previously, I actually reported out to maintenance the performance of our maintenance group. Not only did I do this in written form, but I actually held voluntary sessions where maintainers could come in and sit down and I would go through this and I would talk about how well we have a maintenance has a maintenance group have met our strategic goals and objectives. We had problems. We had problems in parts availability. We had problems in the quality of parts that we were receiving. We had a lot of problems. But fundamentally, if you look at our MC rate for that time period, which was 
While we were technically just under the NGB goal, we had the third best MC rate in the Air National Guard H model fleet because these problems were so difficult. If you looked at the data closely and you dug deep enough, just read the last sentence right there. You can make the case that we are the best performing H model maintenance group in the Air National Guard. But I covered all elements in this letter of all the goals and objectives that we had set. I talked about full spectrum readiness. I talked about things that we were doing to improve the unit. I talked about airman development uh, planning, or excuse me, airman, uh, airman development in general. And I talked about safety, which was a real key focus area for us in maintenance. This year, we won the Wing Safety Award. We had a large reduction in the amount of workplace incidents that year. But you've got to tell people how well you're doing. So let me give you another example, because I think examples matter. And let me talk a little bit how a, guy, a commander can give day-to-day -day guidance to drive action. So in January 2022, knowing that we had an AMC-IG evaluated exercise coming up, he laid out his overall intent for upcoming exercises to be carried out in calendar year 2023. And here's the things that he told our IG office as well as the staff. This was his intent. This is in January 2022. What, 15, 16 months ago? Not too long thereafter, we got a brand new wing plans officer, Major Porter, comes in, newly hired. Hey, sir, looking for guidance. Okay. I typed up this email, and I sent it to Colonel Dumron Kittyman, head of our IG, and Major Porter. And encapsulating what Colonel Priest's intent was, I empowered them to do certain actions, I tasked them with certain objectives, and I explained that it was the collective responsibility of wing plans and the IG to facil facilitate exercise planning, evaluation, and execution. And I listed who was responsible for each. I empowered them to then set meetings and work with the appropriate OPRs and subject matter experts to give taskings associated with, the exer with exercise planning and to monitor progress. And I said, guys, you're encouraged to attend the Wing Commander's daily stand-up. And then we developed a POAM. Basically, it was a timeline that laid out recognizing that our AMC-graded readiness evaluation was in September of 2023 recognizing that we were going to have a flare exercise in March of 2023, I laid out a series of in-progress reviews so that our wing plans officer, IG, and associated functional areas could brief wing leadership on where they were at in meeting the commander's intent. And we could provide course corrections at that point. We've done this.
we just executed Flair. And we met Colonel Priest's intent that he laid out in January of 2022 in that exercise. And we have a plan going forward to do the same thing and to be graded by an AMC evaluation team in September. One last thing I'll say about this. The best thing a commander can do is tell people what the, your expectations are, set goals and objectives, and then get out of the way. I remember as a younger airman sitting in large rooms filled with 50 to 70 people planning ORIs. We had everyone from the wing commander down to E7s and E6s in that room that were functional area experts, and we went through it ad nauseum. It was brutal. And it was micromanaging at its worst, in my opinion. Colonel Priest would occasionally go to the meetings that Major Porter had or Lieutenant Colonel Dumron Kittyman had with the wit, and he would just come in, say hello, Thank you for everything that you're doing. The work you're doing is important, etc. And then he'd leave. And he'd let them do their job. And we would sit in the IPRs to receive our update, and we would make course corrections. And people met his expectations. So the best thing a commander can do, set expectations, goals and objectives, and then get out of the way. People will tell you when they've hit a roadblock. They will tell you when they need more resources. Make sure your door is open to that, but get out of the way. Next slide. So, any questions here? People always ask me, hey, sir, what are you reading right now? So I thought I'd share a little bit with you uh, what I'm reading. Uh, I will say the first book, uh, The Gates of Europe, uh, only if you're a history nerd like me, Will you be into this? Uh, you know, he goes all the way back to Greek times and Herodotus and, uh, you know, going from that all the way up to modern history does take a while. It's a pretty thick book and uh, it is very interesting, but only if you're a history nerd would I recommend you picking that one up. Um, but it does tie into uh, specifically how uh, and why Putin is trying to rewrite history when it comes to Ukraine because it explains a lot of the history that's there uh, in that region. It's amazing. Crossroads of Europe. Uh, Future Peace. Um, the same author wrote a book called Future War not too long ago. This is the subsequent book to it. Uh, it's, it's pretty good. But this is what I'm reading right now. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about the 130th Airlift Wing, you can find us online at www.130aw.ang.af.mil. If you have questions about this program or the 130th, you can contact us by email at 130.aw.public.affairs at us.af.mil.